You're so good. Your mercy endures forever and ever and ever. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, that washes us, that cleanses us. It's that blood, that sacrifice that has brought us into righteousness, that has brought us to a place of holiness and sanctification. Our life set apart, separated by the blood of the Lamb from sin and death unto you that we might experience life with you, life to the overflow. We're so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you are here, right here in this place, to do what only you can do, meet each and every person where they are. Holy Spirit, we thank you. There would be an encounter with you as the teacher, the guide, the experience, you as the anointing, that which destroys every yoke of bondage. That you bring deliverance and freedom with revelation of the word. You bring an uplift to a place where in that revelation the gates of hell cannot prevail in areas of our life. So we ask you today, Holy Spirit, grant unto each one of us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Flood our hearts with light and revelation that we might know what is the hope of our calling, that there would be an expectation of what you've called us to in this day, in this hour, in this generation, that we wouldn't just get caught up in the flow of this world. As your word says, the flow of this world is dictated by the prince of the power of the air, the one who's now and still works in the hearts of those who are sons of disobedience, but we are not of those for we are sons of righteousness. We have been brought out of that disobedience of Adam into the obedience of Christ. So we don't flow with the world, but I thank you. We've been set apart. And there's an expectation of our calling to reach out to a lost and a dying world, to reach out with power and demonstration by the Spirit of God, to set the captive free, bring deliverance and freedom and wholeness and healing, to bring a message that the debt has already been paid that those striving to earn something, to deserve something through life or feel like they deserve nothing, that we are able to tell them that you came and paid the debt so that each one of us doesn't get what we deserve, but we receive from the grace of God. So teach us tonight. Move on our hearts and our lives as only you can do. And we'll give you all the glory and all the honor, all the praise and all the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Good evening, church. How are you this evening? Praise the Lord. Welcome to Sunday Night Edition, New Creation Church. Why don't you greet four or five people around you? Tell them you're glad that they're here. Youth, you can be dismissed to your meeting. Good to see you all here tonight. Glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. Um, just want to encourage you a couple of things before we receive the offering. Just encourage you if you uh, uh, have an unction uh, to be a part of either prayer school or Bible school. Prayer school on Monday night, Bible school on Thursday night. Uh, go ahead and sign up uh, for prayer school, Bible school. I think there's a table out there. You can go onto the app and sign up. 
uh, for Bible school. You want to also uh, get the information on uh, the deep dive class. It's really just a, a taking into uh, account what uh, we believe and the, the scripture. So you go into a little bit depth of that. It's a prerequisite just to tell you uh, it'll help you in Bible school. It helps us. You know, we found as we started Bible school the first couple of years, you know, there were leaders in the church and then People just start taking Bible school. They wanted to, but as teachers, we were backing up. We were finding out that we were backing up almost just to salvation and what that was and how that led you. So this class just really gets you on, in on the basics. So when we jump into Bible school, we can start uh, at a little bit different place. And so it'll help you. It'll help us. So you can get in the deep dive class. You can sign up for, for Bible school. Man, how many of you were blessed last week in the men's conference? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I'm not sure. Somebody might have to inform me how how to go about this exactly, but if you can go on the app or on the, the website, uh, share your story. Uh, if you have a testimony for us, uh, I was talking to Addison the other day and just said, you know, I kept hearing uh, different things. Somebody had texted uh, one of our staff and said, man, this is still going on in me from the weekend. And so I was just texting Addison and said, man, we had a great time with you. People are still having stuff and, and, and sending us testimonies. He said, man, I would love to hear testimonies of the weekend. It'll be an encouragement to him. So if you have some testimonies of what God did uh, in, in changing your life, touching your life, uh, just send that. Uh, it'll be great to know. Uh, what to do, and, and uh, we're planning for our men's conference next year. Amen? And so uh, some things you can get involved in, and um, praise the Lord. If you weren't here this morning or weren't prepared with your local church tithes and offerings, want to give you an opportunity uh, to give. If you're making out a check, make it out to New Creation Church. If you're giving by cash or debit or credit card, raise your hand. The ushers will give you an envelope. And uh, if you're giving or watching online, you can go on. Text giving is up there. We appreciate uh, all your generosity. We thank you so much uh, for what you're doing. Uh, we have seed, as we even talked about last week. You know, the, the Beveres uh, uh, really have resources all over the world, and you have uh, been a great part of that. As John said, you may or may not know it, but uh, we have sent thousands, tens of thousands of resources from our church. We've empowered them, sent tens of thousands, probably now hundreds of thousands. If you're ever up in the office building up there, uh, you, you're headed for the, the bathroom or my office. There's a number of plaques really that tell what languages that we have thousands and thousands of translations of the resources that we've funded uh, from this into the nations. We have missionaries in different places. Uh, in fact, Seth and Shelley are here. Why don't you stand up? They're home for a few weeks. Um, from Croatia, and they're getting ready to do Bible school uh, again next year in Croatia. And uh, Seth said, you know, we might feel like, oh, my goodness, which we're not comparing ourselves with anywhere in Europe. But he said, thank God for low gas prices. How many of you are thanking God for low gas prices? None of us are really thanking God for low gas prices, but if you came from Croatia or Europe, then you would be saying, wow, there's some low prices here. So we don't want to go there, you know, as some would suggest, well, we're just babies because the price is really high somewhere else. No, uh, we have resources here, uh, but uh, they're over there and gas prices are higher. Uh, it, it's a different place. They're bringing the gospel to them, and so you help resource them. Uh, Tony uh, has Bible schools in uh, uh, Kathmandu and, and down in um, uh, Arequipa, Peru. She is actually, uh, they're dunamis in Croatia, uh, different things there. 
You're helping fund that. You're, what you're doing uh, goes into the world. Uh, also, ministry in the jail. I mean, weekly, as our, our team is going into the jail, uh, people are getting saved. Tuesday night, there's extended table. We have youth, children. Uh, we have our preschool. Uh, what you do and what you're giving is really making uh, possible things go on throughout our community, into our region, and uh, throughout the world. So you're touching the world. Uh, through your giving, and we thank you for that. Not only your giving, but as you, you see from this place, people are going, not just giving, and it makes an impact. Amen? Praise the Lord. So we're thankful that for that. We're believing with you that this will be your best year ever. Amen. Doesn't that just set you apart when the world is saying it's a struggle and you can say it's my best year ever? Amen. It doesn't mean, you know, we're believing that financially, but sometimes it doesn't mean your bank account goes way up. It just means your debt goes down. Sometimes it just means in the midst of adversity, you feel better and have more faith than ever before. So, you know, it, it's a little bit depending on your situation, but for each one, uh, the best year that you've ever had because you have a depth of relationship and understanding of your covenant with God, whether it's uh, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, materially, whatever it is, God wants to touch your whole life uh, with great blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we always appreciate your giving and uh, how it impacts uh, everything that we're, is going out from this place. Amen. Into all the world. Father, we thank you for every opportunity that we have to give, to display our understanding that we have a covenant, that everything that we have belongs to you. And everything that you have belongs to us because we're in covenant partnership. So everything that we have need of that pertains to life and godliness, you have already provided. And it comes through the knowledge of that covenant that we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I thank you that even as we give, the blessings of the word of God come upon us and overtake us. That blessing, that flow of words from you into our heart that bring uh, inspiration, ideas, understanding of the day that we live in, that we truly might prosper in everything that we set our hand to do, that it's successful. When we speak out your word, it accomplishes what you set forth for it to do. That even through the understanding of giving and receiving, you touch areas of our life with grace that we didn't even dream possible. So we command the blessings of the Word of God to come upon each and every one. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. You can pass those buckets. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Proverbs, the fourth chapter, we're going to continue our series uh, talking about Romans. And you may say, well, then why are we turning to Proverbs? Because I want to touch on a, a couple of things here that I hope will help us. Um, Proverbs, the fourth chapter, again, a, a very familiar scripture to some of you. If you're new uh, in the Word, uh, you may have not uh, got into Proverbs yet. But an important portion of scripture, as we look at it, verse 20, it says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Or out of your heart set the parameters for your life, the guardrails, if you will, for your life. And so even many believers have no guardrail for their life. And so, really, when we look into the Word of God, when we begin to see and understand how the Word of God is alive, how the Word of God is, a, is powerful, how when we embrace the Word of God, the Word is, is quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that the Word of God penetrates so deeply that it goes past our feelings. It penetrates 
past the soul right into the spirit, right? It takes past what we intellectually can really comprehend, what we emotionally feel, what on the basis of our feelings and our intellect we would decide, and it penetrates past that, that the will of God for our life might become real or revealed to us. So he says if you, if you would embrace the word of God as it is truly not words of men but the word of God, it begins to open up revelation for you. And so the Bible says that without a vision or without revelation or without a, a, a word from God, a prophetic word from God, people wander aimlessly or they cast off restraint and they just live however they want to live. And so, really, in order to get some guardrails or get a vision that God has for our life, and with that vision for our life, for our marriage, for our career, for our job, whatever it is, all of a sudden we have God's word, God's wisdom, God's understanding on it. Now we put in some parameters so we don't go off the rails, as it were, so we can move towards, really, as Paul said, the prize of the mark of the high calling. Amen. And so hiding the word in our heart, inclining our ears to the word are very important. As we get into Romans, uh, we talked about Romans chapter 9. Uh, as we go through it, even theologians look at Romans 9. Paul's clipping along, talking to the church, you know, in, in chapter 1. He says, I'm glad uh, to come to impart some spiritual thing to you. I, I'm desirous to be with you because there's an interaction that takes place. When we come, we encourage one another's faith as we come together. He goes into talking about don't, don't get judgmental of people because it's the mercy of God that saved you. And if the mercy of God saved you, he'll save somebody else. So don't get too judgmental because when you do, then you despise the mercies of God. He goes on to really then talk to the church about how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus came to bring everybody life and peace. He goes on to talk about the faith of Abraham and how it comes through chapter 4 and how we live in that faith of Abraham. You know, he just gets to rolling and fire how sin came, but then how justification came through Jesus Christ. In chapter 6, how if we died with him, we raised with him to a newness of life. And if we understand that newness of life, why would we give ourselves back over to sin and be enslaved by sin again? And then he goes on to talk about, he gets to talking about the law. Was the law bad? No. The law showed up that we needed Jesus. And so we have that. He said, then, then when salvation comes, you begin to realize that something different is working in your mind members, the word of God, the life of God. And so don't give place to your flesh. And he says, now, if you understand that, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. We figured out our flesh is working no good thing, but we've been made spiritually alive by the, by the a spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We no longer live uh, under that law of sin and death. And then, bam, he all of a sudden hits this place and goes, Man, for Israel, now let's just talk about Israel. And even theologians go, man, that was a dynamic shift. He said, I would give my life for my people if I could. And we talked about that. He creates, he begins to create this paradox that begins to work, and it carries from uh, 9 into 10 and into 11, so we get to 12. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. I'm not skipping if you think, wow, you just skipped three chapters. I, I didn't. We, we talked about nine last time uh, we were together. But here in, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he then comes back from this whole thought of Israel to the church 
for a, a very specific reason based on everything that he has said. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. In other words, these three chapters that I've talked about Israel and my concern of how Israel lived and heard and was disobedient to God, certainly opening up a way for the Gentiles to be saved. And in a process of time that as, as the church arises, Israel will actually look and say, what is going on with these Gentiles? They're not even supposed to be the people of God. We're supposed to be the people of God. And that jealousy will bring them back in over a period of time. But in what he rehearses about how Israel stumbled through these things, he said, okay, so having understood that, I beseech you, he comes back to the church, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, he's saying something very specific here because Israel kept conforming to the world around them even though they were the people of God, right? In fact, in, in chapter 11, where he, he begins to talk about some things that happened, he actually infers to this place that simply because the children of Israel began to think in their arrogance, we are God's people. We are God's people. Nobody else is God's people. We can live however we want to live, and we're okay because we're God's people. He said it was a great stumbling block to them, and really, Paul begins to warn, we need to know that. We come in and we just think, you know what? We can live however we want to. God loves us. We're Christians now. It doesn't matter. He says, don't do that. Jesus has done something extraordinary for you to separate you out from the world to be his people, to be his sons and his daughters. Why would you think that qualifies you to live like the world. It doesn't qualify you to live like the world. He rescued you out of the world, which is the offspring of Adam's sin, and he rescued you and made you. He loved you so much to become sons and daughters of God, not to take that for granted to do whatever you feel like doing, but to embrace the new nature to do what is in you to do with him not apart from him. Amen. Right? And so there's much there. So turn back to, to Romans, the 10th chapter. And again, in an effort not to, uh, uh, you know, swing pendulums back and forth and back and forth. So we get over, you know, into what, what the church sometimes calls legalism. And so everybody is back here where, where we'll start almost where Israel was. You have to toe the line in such a way. And if you toe the line in such a way that's going to earn you this place or that place, or you're going to be better than this person or better than that, then we swing it way over and go, well, you just don't really have to do anything. God just loves you. You can sin all you want, and God loves you. And so, you know, we get over here. Now, not to get it swinging back, but there's a place right in the middle. And it's not about what you do or what you don't do. See, sometimes we get over here into saying, well, you know, be rigid. You can't do, man, the law. You just got to toe the line. And that's just works. That's just works. But when you come over and say, I can do whatever I want and I'm okay, all that is is a deception of works. 
what I do or what I don't do. So I cannot do a lot, and I'm still meriting what God wants for me. Or I do everything to merit it. You're all saying, looking at what I deserve or I don't deserve. And thank God for the grace of God. It doesn't come down to what we deserve. It comes down to what Jesus did for us. Amen. And so you can get a legalistic thinking on either side. right? God, uh, God, based on what God did, he can't do anything to me because he loves me and I can sin all I want. Well, you're, you're talking about what you're doing or what you're not doing that really you think when you stand before Jesus, you know, isn't going to matter. We really look and understand that we all will stand. I mean, he, Paul said that in Romans chapter 5. He said we all will. He, he talked about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We all, every single one of us in this room, will stand before Jesus Christ. Come on, we'll stand before him. That'll be an awesome day. Right? It'll be an awesome day. If we understand what he did for us, it'll be an awesome day. If we didn't, it'll be an awesome day. There's two different kinds of awesome. Right? But when there's a place of great faith in God, faith in God, not what we did, but what he did for us. And so even in talking about Israel, when Paul jumps in here, what we call chapter 10, it's just part of what he's expanding upon uh, in his concern or relating to Israel. Many people say, you know, Paul is in the midst of this with the Roman church and Christianity, and the Christian Jews came and said, wait a minute. So what you're saying is these Gentiles can come in? We're the chosen people. Uh, what happened with us? And Paul begins to say, listen, the Jews still haven't accepted. There's many who haven't accepted Jesus. His heart goes out to them, right? And then it, it begins to be, uh, appear that they were saying, but wait a minute, but wait a minute. We didn't know that this Jesus, right? We didn't know. And so Paul begins to, to build on that. Chapter, one, verse, uh, or chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, right? Paul just never, he, he says, I'm concerned about what has happened, how it's gone about. He, there in 9, he's talking about the election of God and how God really is sovereign in his election to that. And you can hold on to that thought. We'll get to the end of that. He creates. Paul, by himself, I believe by the Spirit of God, creates a great paradox that will, will never uh, finish. Right? So we get caught in many... Uh, people, theologians, people debating if you go online, they get into Romans and they're, they're having trouble with faith people. They're having trouble, well, what about this? And they get stuck in 9, 10, and 11. And we certainly, if the theologians of the ages could not solve it, I'm not going to solve this for you. So don't, I mean, if the greatest theologians couldn't, I have little, little chance of actually. But we can see some things in this that will help us. As Paul wrote it, I believe the Spirit of God is saying this. So he says, listen, they, they have missed this. We, we call, again, we, he said, we could call all of Israel God's people, but he said, no, all of Israel is not God's people. There are some people that, that came. There are people who rejected, uh, uh, even though uh, Esau came, Jacob was actually the lineage that took place. Well, how'd that take place? By the election of God. Well, why, why didn't he do something else? Well, why didn't he? Well, well, how can you, the clay, ask the potter, why didn't you? So then they're like, okay, so we don't ask God any questions. Uh, but he's not really getting that. He's saying the questions that you're asking are the wrong questions. Well, why didn't, why didn't God 
let Esau have the heritage. Why did Jacob, who was a deceiver, and then we get stuck in stuff that doesn't even help us, right? Well, now, if he, he was a deceiver. How could God, if God doesn't lie, how could he use a deceiver, and how could he do that? Have you figured that out yet, or does it just make your mind go goofy? So that's where he's trying to say, listen, there's some things that you will never know unless God reveals it to you, yet we get stuck on those questions. Why did he do that? Why did he do that way? Well, why was Pharaoh, why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? And then we get into that. Well, maybe he hardened Pharaoh's heart just because Pharaoh thought he was God and God proved that he was God and that made Pharaoh mad. Right, so we could go that all day, but we just know that God was ever working to bring what he promised, the Messiah, into the earth. Amen. And so he brings that about, and then he, he says, you know, all these things that we get caught up in, you know, and we begin to think, well, all of Israel, but there's an election and selection of God. So then we're like, okay, so nobody asks any questions. But then he goes on, and he begins to say some things here. My desire is that Israel get saved. Verse 2, he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. So again, this ignorance idea, they were coming up and saying, well, we didn't know. But Paul, he uses this word, or the translator's ignorance, but we'll find out that in that, he wants to capitalize on that because where they thought that they might be ignorant of some things, it was of their own design, not that they couldn't know or didn't know. Sometimes we think, well, they were ignorant. They didn't know, and they were saying they didn't know, but Paul is about to open up a, a whole bunch of stuff that says, now, wait a minute. If you are ignorant, there's different kinds of ignorance. All right? So it says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Right? Christ is the end. And so even as, as they go through this, and Paul, is, he will begin to break down Old Testament scriptures for New Testament realities that come to pass, that it was prophesied over and over of Christ being the end of the law. And really, the law, they got so entrenched in the law, they had a zeal, such a zeal for God, that they got caught in the law. And the law, in and of itself, still was to be based in faith. Right, Everything that they did, even according to the law, was to put faith in the blood sacrifice. So they begin to get off of the blood sacrifice and really what they did and what they didn't do, all of the rigid things, but it really came down to once a year, the atonement of the innocent blood that covered the sin that they were in. And if they had faith in that... Right? They were moving forward because they could see that there was a place and a type and a shadow. But they got away from the blood sacrifice into what they were doing, not what the blood did for them. And so he says they started missing what was going on and what would come in the future because they lost faith in the blood so what do we carry over? He so said, we learn from their mistake. We can get into everything that we do and lose sight of faith in the blood. Right? We want faith in the blood because in faith in the blood, everything begins to open up to us. Amen. Everything that pertains to life and godliness begins to open up to us, not in how good we do things, but our faith in the blood 
of Jesus Christ. So he goes on to say, for Moses writes. So now again, he's, he's bringing revelation. He's not saying, this is something I've come up with. This is something that you can't just say we never knew because Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does them, he says this in Deuteronomy, the man who does the, those things or by the law shall live by them. In other words, he doesn't just say, if you do the law, that's what you'll live by. He says, if you, if you get caught up in the works of the law, then you're living in the sphere of legalism. There's a sphere that you live in. But he says, the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead, right? So he said, listen, the righteousness of faith, he's going to get to that. In Deuteronomy, Moses spoke of this. Listen, nobody's going to go up into heaven and bring Christ down. Nobody can go down into the place of the dead and bring Christ up. Only God did that. Christ descended took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He ascended and sprinkled his blood, right? Nobody's gonna, of their own works, challenge and be able to go up and bring him down. Listen, I'm gonna be the one by my either, you know, it can be either side. By all my good deeds, I'm gonna usher in and bring God down. Or I'm so terrible, he's got to come and save us. Nobody can be bad enough or good enough to bring Christ down. You can't go down into the depths of the dead and say, we're going to get Christ up from the dead. No, only God did that. He said the righteousness of, of faith says this. We're not going to ascend up and bring him down. We're not going to go down and bring him up. God only does this, but this is what it says. He's not way up there to bring down. He's not way there to bring up. But the word is near you and in your, in your heart and in your mouth. He says, listen, we got this mind that we have to do something. We have to work to something that's far away. But the righteousness, which is by faith, doesn't say God's far off somewhere, that we have to go get it and bring it to us. He says, the word is near you. God is near you. Paul, uh, when he's talking there in Athens, he takes that a great poem that they understand and said, he's not afar off. It's in him that we live, in him that we move, and in him that we have our very being. As long as we have a mindset that God is afar off somewhere and we're ever trying to do something to please this God who is afar off watching our lives, we'll always fall back into works and not understand what God is doing. But when we understand what he has already done and his word is near us. It's in our heart and in our mouth. Paul said this is the word of faith which we preach. That if you will confess Jesus as Lord. Now, we may not understand that as much in our American culture, but when he was speaking to those people, there was something that they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, is the Romans who were, who were supposed to call the emperor of Rome Lord, Master. They would not call Jesus Lord over the emperor unless they truly believed that he was Lord. The Jews would not, for fear of misunderstanding the law, call Jesus Lord unless they truly had embraced and believed that. 
Why? Because there were other things lording it over them that there was a great distinction that I believe and I am going to declare Jesus as my Lord. So we tend to look and say, well, nothing's really Lord of my life. I'm not in that position. But he says, listen, there's something powerful to understand that when we are calling Jesus Lord, right, and we're distinguishing he is Savior, but we are distinguishing that he will become the master of my life. As John put it last Sunday morning and really moved so many people to come and rededicate their life, is that the, the point that we might have gotten to in the church over a period of time of just saying Jesus is a Savior, people come and say, well, he'll save me from hell. I'll just live and have all kinds of different things that I love more than him. I love doing more than him. I love serving more than him. Then we've gotten into a trap where we've called him Savior, but it, nothing changes or transforms our life. But he's saying that true faith is believing in what he did to the point that you confess with your mouth that now I will not be the master of my own life. Lust will not master my life. Sin of any kind will not master my life. My own desires will not be the master of my life. Other things will not be the lover of my soul and stealing from my soul. Jesus now takes preeminence over everything that I do. Say, man, I don't know about that. But that's where you have to believe. That he's always out for your best interests. Amen. That if God so loved you, and in order to satisfy that love for you, he sent Jesus to die for you. To take your place and make that sacrifice. And since he sent Jesus to die for you, how would he not? with him, freely give you all things that you have need of to live life to the full. Apart from the desires and the lusts of the flesh, you'll live a full life in relationship with him. So if you'd believe that, it changes everything. Amen. It changes everything. And he's quoting to those people who say, it is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Verse 9, he said that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said there's something that's going on in conjunction here, not separate from one another, but moving. He says when you believe in your heart, not just an emotional feeling of the moment, but something that settles down deep in your heart, in your intellect, affecting what the emotion is right now, that I believe that God did this for me. He, Jesus was crucified. He was buried, and he raised from the dead so that I could be justified. I could be redeemed. I could be forgiven. Forgiven, And what does that mean to me to be forgiven of my sin? It means a brand new start. Not to go back and sin, but now I've been washed. I've been cleansed. I've been sanctified. I've been purified. My past means nothing to my future anymore. My past, my guilt, my shame no longer can lord over my future Jesus is Lord. Amen. Come on, that's where the supernatural begins to kick in by faith. 
Not what I can do, but grace and empowerment to say the past is behind. I'm not going to take shame. I'm not going to take guilt anymore. There's a brand new life that has emerged in Christ. So verse 10, he says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness. See, that place of knowing what God has done and believing it joins you into a place of righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When you make a conscious choice of believing, not an emotional choice, but a conscious choice of believing, it's accounted unto you for right standing with God. Now, in that right standing, every promise of God begins to open up. When, when Abraham believed God, when he said, listen, I'm about to do the impossible for you. He said, listen, I'm just a man, and my wife is old, and she can't have children. What am I going to do? And God said, it's really not what you're going to do. It's what you're going to trust me to do in you is going to make the difference for all of humanity. Amen. And I don't want to make light of it, but I do want to make it a little bit easier than we make it. Abraham went, okay then, I'm in. He believed God and God said, okay. As long as you're in, we'll make the impossible happen. Huh? And in that moment, God said, we can do this together. Come on, God has a future and a hope. He's got things beyond our imagination, what we can hope, think, ask, or dream. And he says the moment that you believe, not that you can't do it, you're inept, you've made too many mistakes, you're going to this, I'm not, I don't know enough, I don't feel anointed. He said, listen, the moment that you'll believe, it's accounted. We can do this together, right? If you say you're going to do it for me and, and, and God watch everything I'm going to do for you and then I'll come and you give me the reward for everything I've done, he's like, this is not going to work. But the moment we believe him, he says, now together in right standing, we're going to see the impossible happen in your life. Amen. Come on, it's transformation. He believes with a mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In other words, if that's what you believe in your heart, you begin to declare out of your mouth, and it begins to make a change. He says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no di distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. Again, he's saying, listen, the Jews are saying, listen, how did salvation come uh, to the Greek? He said, listen, those who call upon Jesus in faith, there is no distinction with God at this point. He's saying the Jews are his people. Well, we're his people. He said, but you got caught up in the works not believing me, and it opened the door for the Gentile and the Greek to believe me. And when there's belief in me, there is no distinction. Right? So, well, those person, people over there, they came up in church. They were raised in church. God must really think there's something. And I came up not even knowing God and got all my sin, and God must think I'm nothing. He said, when you come and believe in me, there's no distinction. Praise the Lord. Y'all with me? 
God is, God is super, super good. This may seem basic, and again, this is just what he's saying. We can get into that mindset as we do more, as we, we live more, as maybe we're, we're, you know, we, we do more in the church. We're thinking, this must really make a distinction. But if you're not believing God, it's not making a distinction. If you're believing God, there, there's things that are happening for other people. There's lives being changed that really we understand, man, without God, we wouldn't even do this. This wouldn't be possible. And we're looking for things to come. We're looking for God to move in people's lives. We're actually looking and living our life to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's what they were to be doing. The Jews, the law, was everything was pointing to Jesus' first coming. And all that we are doing and living by faith is pointing that he's coming again. When he comes again, there will be a totally change in the age. And when he comes again, those who don't know him will be lost. Those who haven't been serving him, those who don't believe in him, there will be a distinction. So he's trying to help not only the Jew understand what took place and how he grieved for them and how they missed it, but also to, to us to be an example so that we wouldn't do the same thing. So for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 14, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? So that's a question he's there saying, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can we uh, believe in him? Uh, how can we call on him if we, if we don't believe in him? And how can we believe in him if we've not heard? Now, we use that to know this, right, that Nobody, people out there that haven't heard, we need to tell them. But actually, in context, Paul is talking to the Jews who are saying, well, wait a minute. How can we believe in this Jesus if we haven't heard about him? And Paul is about to answer these questions for them because they were pleading some level of ignorance. So we, we can contextualize it in our setting, but Paul is really contextualizing it in this place where the Jews uh, seem to be caught up in this election, the New Testament Jews, and they're the chosen people, and how did they miss God and all this happening, and they didn't know. And he said, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, so he goes back to another Old Testament scripture to tell them the prophets were talking to you. They're talking to us, but he's telling the Jewish Christians of the day, they said, wait a minute, how will we know they were talking to you? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed for the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So now listen, he's about to say that they had an opportunity to have faith in Jesus Christ because they have already heard through all the prophets that Jesus was coming. So listen, that's why I'm saying we need to take Proverbs chapter 4 seriously to embrace the word because there's coming things that will say, well, wait a minute, I didn't know. And we're waiting so interpersonally to say, God didn't come and instruct me a, B, C, D was going to happen. But God will say, no, I said it through my ministers. I said it over and over and over again. You just weren't paying attention. There, God is speaking of an end time move of God. 
that many believers are just going, hmm. And when things start to happen in this move of God, there's going to be some dividing that takes place. There's going to be some raising up. There's going to be some putting down. There's going to be some things happen that you could sit back and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't know. What? Wait, I've served for, wait. And he's going to say, no, wait a minute. This, I've been saying this for generations and generations. We want to learn from them. Again, contextually, he's talking about the Jews that his heart's going out to, yet his heart's going out, and they're saying, but wait a minute. We were ignorant to these things. And he said, no, you couldn't have really been ignorant because God was speaking to generation after generation of this faith that was needed in the blood because the lamb slain was coming. Are you all with me? So again, we've contextualized it. These same scriptures are very known to you in, in certain things. Paul, again, look at it and start to draw what he was saying about the Jewish people and what they had missed and how that had kind of flipped it, opened a door for us. That's awesome. But he says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask me, uh, ask for me. But Israel says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient. Uh, but to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. In other words, they said, we weren't sure, and we didn't know that the Gentiles were going to come into this. We thought we were God's chosen people, that we were the ones. And he said, no, you did know because God told you that there was going to be the people who didn't even seek him, that he was going to come into their life, and by faith they were going to receive Jesus. They did know, right? They did know. And so, you know, we get to this point, as I said, and then he goes into 11, and he begins to talk about their, their understanding was that they were God's people, and they even started to just even act contrary to God's law. They just thought that they would make it. You can read the prophets, Jeremiah is one of them, who came to warn them and said, listen, you are God's people. God has a plan for you. He, he has a purpose for you, but you need to repent of living like the world. And they began to say, we are God's chosen people. If God was going to do something to us, he would have done it by now. And Jeremiah is saying, wait a minute. God is here to tell you that he's about to do something. His mercy is long-suffering, but you all are pushing the envelope here. I'm using modern terms, but you're pushing the envelope, and the day's coming, and what happened? They went into captivity, and they were enslaved, but he still had a remnant. And 11 will start to talk about that. He, he always has a people, right? And it sounds, again, like selection. Well, God picked a remnant. Well, there's always people that will believe God. Right? And that keeps moving things forward. But those people, that remnant of God, they still went into captivity because of the other's disobedience, but they carried out, because of their obedience, they allowed the, God, the plan of God to carry forth. But there are things that are taking place. So, really, I just want to read this um, to maybe help us understand 
from this pr- perspective. Now, this is from a, just a writer, a Greek scholar, um, and this is about uh, chapter 9 and 10. He says, finally, Paul insists that all through history, God has been stretching out hands of appeal to Israel, and Israel has always been disobedient and perverse. A passage like this seems strange to us and unconvincing. And it may seem that at least some of the texts that Paul quotes have been wrenched out of their context and made to mean what they never were intended to mean. So theologians get in there and they start going, well, that really isn't what that means because it was an Old Testament scripture and it meant this. But that's the living word of God is that it meant something to the Jews then, but it also meant something in the future. There's the word of God that means something to you right now, but it also means something to the church in the future. We always have to understand that the word is alive. It's moving from beginning to end. God sees the beginning from the end. He's eternal. He's not temporal. What he's doing right now, that's why it's so important. You know what Addison said, if we think of the day-to-day or the mundane as meaningless and we get caught in what we think is the mundane, we miss what God is doing right now in eternity. And then we end at a place where we're missing out because we didn't take advantage of what was there uh, before us right then. He says, he goes on to say, nevertheless, there is in this passage something of permanent value. Beneath it, there runs a conviction that there are certain kinds of ignorance which are inexcusable. All right, so he lines out three kinds of ignorance. (laughs) There is the ignorance which comes from neglect of knowledge. There is a legal principle which says that genuine ignorance may be a defense, but neglect of knowledge never is. People cannot be blamed for not knowing what they never had a chance to know, but they can be blamed for neglecting to know things that were always open to them. Hmm. For instance... If anyone signs a contract without having read the conditions, that person cannot complain if afterwards it is discovered that the conditions are very different from what was originally understood. If we fail to equip ourselves for a task when every chance is given to us to equip ourselves adequately for it, we must stand Condemned as individuals, we are responsible for failing to know what we might have known. Just say, well, I didn't know that. But could you have known that? Again, Paul is bringing that out to Israel. Second kind of ignorance. There is the ignorance which comes from willful blindness. We have an infinite and fatal capacity for shutting our minds to what we do not want to see. And stopping our ears or what we do not want to hear. A person may be well aware that some habit, some indulgence, some way of life, some friendship, some association must be uh, inevitably have disastrous results. But that person may simply refuse to look at the facts. To turn a blind eye may be, in very few cases, a virtue, but in most cases, it's folly. Right? So we have, uh, actually, we have uh, warnings printed on certain, uh, um, what am I looking for? Well, appliances there. Uh, yeah, like don't 
use this hair dryer in the shower. It's electrical. Water and electrical don't do well. But on cigarettes, we have, we now have to have a warning on there, like you did not really know this was going to affect your health. Right? You probably knew it, but you didn't want to pay attention to it. But then after it started killing people, they tried to use that as a defense. And so they said, we're not going to allow this to be a defense. We'll just tell you straight up. This will kill you, and if you do it and die, don't hold us liable. I mean, that's how far people will go to say, I didn't know, even though he's saying, you should have known. You did know. You just choose, you chose to turn a blind eye at it. Number three, there is the ignorance, which is in essence a lie. The things about which we are in doubt are far fewer than we would like to think. There are in reality, listen to this, I love this. There are in reality very few occasions when we can honestly say, I never knew that things would turn out like this. There are a few, but very few occasions when we actually could honestly say, I never knew it would turn out like this. God gave us conscience and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And often we plead ignorance when, if we were honest, we would have to admit that in our heart of hearts, we knew the truth. Some people are like, nobody told me. Well, we have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Sometimes we come into this place. I'll just use this example. So many of you have heard this before. But, you know, God was dealing with me at a period of time, which I'm, I'm very excited. He's dealing with me in, in some finite uh, ways right now. So I know something's, something big is taking place. You, you know, you don't have to be too much alive to know that. It's not like I'm something. But he began to deal with me. One, one time I, was, uh, I went skiing with some friends. I was spending the night in the hotel. I, be, I was making coffee uh, for the next morning. It was really, it was odd. It was, it was clear, but it was odd. Uh, I finished making coffee. I was over, uh, just washing my hands, just getting ready for bed. And right on the inside, I knew it. I mean, it was so clear. Go look over at that coffee pot and watch. I looked over and watched, and there was a big old bead of water on top of that coffee pot. There was nothing that happened. There was no rumble. And all of a sudden, it just started to move, and it rolled off of the coffee pot. I was like, well, that's weird. What does God want me to see in that? And I was thinking, that just seemed really weird. I mean, I know, I mean, I know that was the Spirit of God, but weird just to look at water? Come on. So then I, I got home from skiing, and, and we were just hanging out one evening, and there was a glass of water. Tasha brought me a glass of water sitting on our coffee table. And uh, I'm just sitting there. We're talking, and just on the inside, that same thing. Uh, move that glass of water. I'm like, it's in the middle of the coffee table. There's some, move that glass of water. I didn't pay attention. And she comes over, she does something, boom, she knocks over that glass of water. I was like, wow, I should have moved that glass of water. And so anyway, you know, going on, and so all of a sudden, you know, comes uh, thanks, the Sunday morning after Thanksgiving, and I'm making my coffee and right down on the inside. For 25 years or better, I had played tackle football with all the guys, tackle football, we called it the turkey bowl, on Sunday morning, or Sunday after Thanksgiving, done it forever. I'm making coffee, and right on the inside, don't play football today. 
Man, I knew that as clear as I knew I, uh, the, that water was going to go over. That beat, it was how the Holy Spirit was talking to me. And so I thought, all right, I'm not playing football today. So I come to church. People are, are you going to play football? No, I don't think I'm going to play football today. And then it just kept going. Come on, you're going to play football? We're going to play football. The older guys are going to win today. And they started working, and I started thinking, okay, so what, why don't I, why? Okay, so it's probably because one time I really hurt my knee. So I wear knee braces. I'll cover myself. Yes, I can play. Thought I had it figured out. But on the inside, I knew I shouldn't play. So probably 10 minutes into the game, I go rush the quarterback, grab onto him. He spin, does a spin move, pulls my arm, and all of a sudden I feel click, zip. I look down and my bicep is up here. <laughs> and I looked, and you know, in a moment's time, it was like, uh-oh, <laughs> something's, something's not right. Something's not working. The guys prayed for me. It was really a grace of God from what I've heard. I've, I had no pain with that. Uh, I mean, got it all fixed. But anyway, my point is, is that I could have had that done and not said anything to anybody. Why do you think God let that happen? Oh, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea why that happened. Well, do you believe in healing? Do you, oh, yeah, I have no idea. What, no, I knew. Why, I knew exactly why it happened. He didn't say, you're going to tear your bicep tendon today if you play football. No, I didn't know that. But I knew that I wasn't supposed to. Well, why? Then we asked those questions. Well, why couldn't you play football? If there's protection, why couldn't you play football? It's not about all that protection as much as it is the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us and guide us. And we can be ignorant only because we just say, I don't want to do it that way. And then something happens and we're like, I didn't even know this was happening. But down on the inside, we know how many times has something happened and you went, wow, I knew that was going to happen. I, I sensed that was going to happen. So there's a place where the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us and guide us, yet we're like, I didn't know that was going to happen. So in context, Paul is saying all of Israel was going like, we didn't know the Gentiles were coming in. We thought that we we're waiting for our Messiah. We didn't know this was happening. Paul said, no, you did know this was going to happen. I kept telling you this was going to happen. How many times as Christians were like, well, I didn't know that was going to happen. Wow. Somebody says, wow, you should have been in church on Sunday night. The Spirit of God was really moving. Well, I'd have been there if I'd have known the Spirit of God was going to move. <laughs> well, wait a minute. When two are gathered together in his name, he's right there in the midst of them. Come on. Oh, I wish I would have been there. I didn't know that was going to Well, sure you did. You knew at least there was a chance. But we're trying to say, let me navigate this in the way I want to navigate it. And God, you just, you know, be patient with me. And he is. But he's saying, listen, you can't plead ignorance. All right, let's just close this out. Because I think this is good and this is where uh, he explains this paradox that takes place. One thing remains to be said on this passage. In the argument, as far as it has gone, there's a paradox. All through this section, Paul has been driving home the personal responsibility of the Jews. They ought to have known better. They had every chance to know better, but they rejected the appeal of God. He began the argument by saying that everything was of God and that human beings had no more to do with it than the clay had to do with the work of the potter. He has set two things side by side. Everything is of God and everything is of human choice. 
Paul makes no attempt to resolve this dilemma. And the fact is that it cannot be resolved. It is a dilemma of human experience. We know that God is behind everything, and yet, at the same time, we know that we, are free, we have free will and can accept or reject God's offer. It is the paradox of the human situation that God is in control, and yet the human will is free. Come on. So we get into Scripture like, God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. Yes, he can. But you also get to respond to it or not respond to it. So we like to say, well, I didn't have any choice in that. God's sovereign. Oh, but wait a minute. You did have a choice in it because while God is sovereign, God created us with a free choice. While God was sovereign and had his selection, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, still had to choose to believe God and walk in it. So he carries that paradox over to us to say, listen, God will be in control of his final destiny. Jesus is coming again. He's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He will come and bring his church home. He will do that. You can either believe that and be a part of moving into that, or you can say, you know what, I'm just going to live life my way and see what happens. But when the end comes, we can't say we did not know what would take place, right? And we cannot think, well, just because we're saved and we're people of God, we can live however we want. That carries into chapter 11, and we'll just kind of move over that. You can read that, but he, he begins to say they, they were living in such a way, but we come to chapter 12 that we'll do that. I beseech you, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, instead of just living with this understanding or thinking, I'm God's people, I can do whatever I want to do, Jesus saved me. He said, listen, because of this, the Jewish people just live this way. He said, I want you to give your body a living sacrifice, to understand the value of what's been done, and give your time and your attention and your resources and your life over to God. It's only your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't just go with the flow of the world and say, it doesn't matter. I'm God's child. I'm God's people. But be transformed into that very image of a child of God by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that you might to under, begin to understand that there is a grace upon your life, a grace to be utilized, a grace to walk in, a grace that takes you beyond your own human ability into the ability that God gives you. There is a place in the grace of God to live a supernatural life, not just caught up in the fray of the day-to-day -day and the disappointments of the day and the discouragement of the day, but it rises you above disappointment and discouragement of the day to say there's hope of a future and I'm empowered by God. That when the day comes down and I seem disappointed and it seems hopeless, there's a grace that rises, raises me above. When I feel weak because of grace, then I am strong. I can live out my life with God no matter what the circumstance presents to me. I believe God. And when I believe God, I access a grace beyond my own ability, beyond my own feelings, beyond my own intellect. He begins to raise me up to see things different, to think differently, to empower me to go farther than I could. And when we do, we are a bright and shining light. We declare that Jesus is alive and he's coming again. And people who are lost and caught in the fray and pressed down aren't looking for somebody who's as depressed as they are, who's as discouraged 
discouraged as they are, but somebody who's risen out of it and above it with a testimony, not of their own works, but of faith in God and his grace. Amen. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you. We praise you and we magnify you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you, God, for the day that we live in, the generation that we live in. Though it may look bleak all around us, you are doing something right now in your people. Right now, there is available a grace and empowerment of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to raise us up. God, I pray for each and every person that even what we said, they'll not feel discouraged. They'll not feel condemned. They'll not feel powerless. Right now, we stand against that strategy of the enemy. You know right now, if people have been discouraged, if they look like they have no hope, if they feel like they have not known or heard about the consequences of the situations facing them in life, but we know you've brought your word. Even right now, Holy Spirit, upon those who are discouraged, those who have been disappointed in life or face disappointment in life, Things haven't turned out as they thought they should or would or could. They blamed you or they blamed others. They blamed themselves. God, even right now, by your Holy Spirit, meet them right at that place. That they might know that there is supernatural power to overcome the past situations of life that have disappointed, discouraged made them helpless and hopeless. By your anointing, work in their heart and their mind right now to take what's been spoken from your word and penetrate to their heart. As they leave this place, they don't leave with discouragement, but they leave knowing that there is a grace to empower them for another day, to rise above that disappointment, that discouragement, that condemnation, the shame, the mistakes of the past, the wounds that have tried to keep them down. But there is a grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring them above. That as they give their life into your hands afresh and anew to be Lord, Master, and Savior of their life, that they give their life over to you. No longer to just go with the flow of this world, but to be changed that they purpose to renew their mind so that they can't say, I did not know, but I do know what the will of the Lord is for my life. And in that, they begin to find special graces and find in that grace special places that they can serve and by the ability that you give them, serve others with fervor, with joy, with supernatural ability. As we go, we are lights wherever we go. We're not blending in, but we're standing out in a way of your goodness, that your goodness towards us, your mercy and your grace being seen in us causes people to change their mind about who you are. For it's your goodness that leads people to repentance. And we desire to be the light that causes people to see your goodness Thank you, Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving in every heart and life, for healing wounds, putting broken hearts back together again, delivering us from what has captivated, controlled our thinking, our emotions, and our actions. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good. His mercy endures forever and ever. Why don't you say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.